Hi, this is Paul. This summer I made a number of videos about the Christian Reformed Church and what's been going on in the Christian Reformed Church with respect to same-sex marriage. And a few things have been going on again, so I thought I'd give a little update. I was quite surprised that how so many people over the last couple of years who have no connection at all to the Christian Reformed Church, uh, with the possible exception of watching my videos, found themselves so interested and engaged in these videos. Many of you said you had gone through some of this stuff in your own denomination or you've never been to church and you're just curious about how churches process this stuff. And so a lot of what I've done is sort of give background information to try to give a little bit of context for this. Now, some of this comes out with the latest issue of the banner. For those who are not in the Christian Reformed Church, the banner is the monthly periodical of the denomination and this is the most recent copy that has come to that has come to let's see this one came to the church this is one that came to the church it used to be a weekly publication this is a copy from uh, October 18 1982 there's my grandfather uh, hanging out with um, my grandfather always wearing a suit and a tie uh, hanging out with Reverend Cornelius Schooland who was one of the four seminarians who went on a, a seminary choir tour. My father kept a, my grandfather kept a little journal of it and took some pictures, which my mother has and which I copied a number of years ago. I should probably reorder. My father, my father was able to read my grandfather's handwriting and typed out a copy of it. And, um, but the banner used to be a weekly publication. It was a very big deal. It was sort of the the paper life, oh, I should get it in the, it was sort of the paper lifeblood of the denomination. And a number of years ago, it began to sort of get into a monthly magazine. The denomination decided to put more things in it to use it instead of like a, each agency putting out its own promotional material. Anyway, so that's been part of this, part of this transition. Two or three times a year, Classis, which is a regional body of the Christian Reformed Church. Synod is the binational body. Classes are regional bodies and then local churches. Two or three times a year, classes around the United States and Canada meet and they conduct business. Now, a lot of people pay a lot of attention to what happens at Synod, which is important. Synod has its role, but in many cases, things get acted out in terms of church discipline, what church is in, what church is out, uh, what's happening with office bears in the Christian Reformed Church. These things happen at the classical level. And so sort of following what's going on at the classical level is helpful in terms of getting a sense of this large thing, this hyper object, let's say, called the Christian Reformed Church. If you haven't, if you don't know what I mean by hyper object, you'll have to watch some of my other videos. We've been talking about that. And as usual, there are some ministers who have come into the denomination, some ministers who have left the denomination. But then there was another, there was a section called Other Matters, in which some of the questions surrounding Classis Grand Rapids East and the question of same sex marriage was treated. Now, I'm going to try and keep the denominational procedures to a minimum and explain them as best I can where necessary. I'll read the following thing. Classis Grand Rapids East sustained an appeal from Reverend Matthew Tuninga objecting to a decision of the Council of Grace CRC in Grand Rapids. The appeal dated January 4, 2023, relates to a September 2022 decision of Grace's Council to adopt a statement that Tuninga says violates and undermines the confessional teachings of the CRC as defined by Synod 2022, specifically the teaching that homosexual intercourse is unchaste, parentheses original. Tuninga requested that Classis Grand Rapids East instruct Grace CRC's Council to, number one, rescind the statement and policies, number two, express its commitment to the Christian Reformed Church's confessional teaching, and promoting chastity. Number three, require its office bearers who object to this teaching to submit themselves to the gravamen process in accordance with the CRC church order. Okay, what's happening here? This is an appeal. Well, what does that mean? Christian Reformed Churches, the local church has a council, and then there's the classis, and then there's the synod. 
Now, they don't necessarily sort of stack up on top of each other. They're sort of side by side. But if you have a member of a local church that is not happy with the decision that their council made and believes that their council has in some ways violated the rules or confessions or doctrines of the Christian Reformed Church, a local church member may appeal that decision of their council to the classes that that council is a part of. Now, part of what makes this interesting, there's a lot of things that make the story interesting. Part of it is the person who made the um, person who made the appeal himself. Uh, Matthew Tuninga, there's no reverend in there or there's no doctor in there, but Matthew Tuninga is a professor at Calvin Theological Seminary. And what's, what's interesting to me is that he became a professor at Calvin Theological Seminary in in 2025, or I'm sorry, 2015. I'm getting so old, we get my decades mixed up. And yours truly was part of the committee that brought him in. And he's he's a rather interesting he's a rather interesting guy because of his story. Maybe we'll listen to a little bit of his story, because in all of this synod coverage, I have I have really tried to help keep this personal because this is not just a matter of abstract ideas. It's a matter of people. And there are people on both sides of this last year, uh, or not last year, this past June and synod time, I had a video about, you know, the synodical delegate um, minister, Rita, who made asked the question on the floor of synod, you know, can my children still be part of this church? So I was on the committee that brought him in. I just want to play a little bit of his, a little bit of his, his interview on the synod floor to give you a little taste of him, and I, I thought that might be helpful. This particular synod happened at Dort University in Sioux Center, Iowa. So briefly tell us about your family upbringing, um, how that shaped you and how that has helped you be the person you are today. Yeah, um, first of all, I want to thank you all for having me here and interviewing me. Um, I'm really thrilled to be here, and it's obviously the culmination of a what has seemed like a very long process, so I'm really excited to be here. Mm -hmm. um, I grew up as the son of a CRC pastor in, uh, well, lived various places, but mostly southern Ontario, till I was age eight, um, and then my family, uh, our church left the CRC, so I was part of that, the painful split that eventually led to the culmination of the URC. Now you can see a little bit of why there's so much, there's so many interesting wrinkles to this because Dr. Matthew Tuninga understands something about what happens when at least chunks break off of a denomination because his father was one of the ministers that left the Christian Reformed Church when women in office uh, became part, became permissible in the Christian Reformed Church. And he was eight years old when this happened. And so I remember when his name came up, there was a little bit of because again, the Christian from Church is kind of like, in many respects, kind of like a large extended family. Tuninga, wait a minute, those Tuningas who left? Because back in the split, people knew who left and knew who stayed. And and so to have someone from the split come back, well, this was rather interesting. Um, I, you know, my obviously the fact that my dad is a, a Christian Reformed pastor had a huge influence on me and has always... Uh, put the church first and foremost in my life. So try as I might have over the years, I was never really able to get away from that. As you'll see in my CV, I tried some other things, but uh, here I am. Um, yeah, so, you know, I think uh, probably what's worth saying about my childhood is the way that my dad shaped me in so many ways. Uh, in, you know, it was a Kuyperian household, so, you know, doing everything for the glory of God. Um, doing something that will serve the church and serve others. Um, always ask why you believe what you believe. Never just do it because you were taught. Um, you know, show Christian love. Never take things personally. You know, just, you know, it's shaped who I am. So just my whole outlook on life is shaped okay. by that childhood. Good. Um, besides work and study, how do you find enjoyment in life and how do you experience Sabbath? 
Well, I'm a diehard Edmonton Oilers fan, so I, I experience great joy when the Oilers win the draft lottery and are about to draft Connor McDavid. Um, I experienced sorrow when I was five and Wayne Gretzky was traded and I was first confronted with the problem of evil in the world. And I'm not really joking about that as a five-year-old. Um, you know, so I'm, I love hockey. Um, I like outdoorsy type stuff. I have a wife and three kids, um, ages six-year-old boy, four-year-old girl, one-year-old girl. Um, I love reading. I love history, um, uh, politics, you know, all those sorts of things that I uh, sort of flirted with doing before I, I decided I wanted to be uh, doing this as a vocation, you know, for the church. Um, and what you had, was there a second part of that? How do you experience Sabbath? Sabbath. Yeah. Um, I, uh, this is sort of, I, that's an interesting question because I was raised as a Sabbatarian. Um, I've since sort of moved to a more, I think, Calvinist view of, of the Sabbath, but I, uh, I still live like a Sabbatarian out of choice. So um, I'm a very family-oriented person, and there's been times in my life where I had to work more than others, but... Uh, you know, I've always kept Sundays and e even evenings for my family, and I think that's really helped me keep a work-life balance. Mm -hmm. Good. Now, as we were talking earlier, you had mentioned about um, being in a family, uh, being very young, and yet experiencing um, 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 the split and the painful division yeah. within the uh, URC and the... Mm -hmm. The CRC. Would you explain that? Sure. Yeah, I mean, I was eight, so all I really remember is our church. I didn't even know. I don't even think I knew that we were leaving a denomination. I just knew that a lot of my friends weren't in church anymore, and there had mm -hmm. been a split. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, you don't question that at the time. You, um, you assume your parents are doing the right thing, and I didn't question that for a long time. Uh, even, uh, but, but, you know, as I had said, my dad had always taught us never believe something because that's what you were taught, or that's the way you've always done it, but always think about it. So he, and he also taught us never to take things personally. So I, I was primed to be my own person when it came to that. I think uh, during seminary, um, when I started to, you know, make, make the faith my own in different ways. I, I talked about this in my cover letter a little bit, that the way that my time at Westminster Seminary, California, I have some colleagues here from there who knew me then, but really made me much more Christocentric in my faith, and my faith became much more about Christ and less about the Reformed tradition as I had experienced it, which didn't mean I was abandoning the Reformed tradition. It just meant that it, it was newly centered on Christ. And, you know, then I started studying Calvin, tail end of Westminster, and going into Emory and Calvin's doctrine of the church and his emphasis on, you know, the word and sacraments as being the marks of the church, and beyond that, Calvin called for, you know, ecumenicity and unity in the church. So that did make me, you know, start to question, not in a, per I still wasn't prepared to question, you know, what my father or grandfather had done, but just, you know, think about the doctrine of the church, and was that really a necessary thing to happen, that split and so forth, and then I think, you know, my time at Emory, you know, being at a place like Emory University, you know, which is fairly liberal compared to everywhere else that I've been, it, it gives you a sense of the big issues of the day, and what you know, it, it, it gave me a sense that a lot of the issues that divided or sort of absorbed circles that I had grown up in seemed very small compared to, you know, the real issues facing the gospel. So I started to become interested in, you know, how can I still be confessional and reformed but not be absorbed by, by those sorts of things? And so even before I knew about this position, I had started to sort of have my eyes out and looking for a place that I could do that. And I, I thought of the Christian Reformed Church by this point, and um, then I found out about the moral theology position, so it was, it was providential in the sense that I had already gone through that shift, and then I found out about the position and I was already prepared to be part of the Christian Reformed Church. In fact, because of all those experiences, it was almost like, uh, you know, for me, an existentially an answer to prayer because, you know, as an academic, um, as someone who wants to serve the church, it's so important to be in a place that you can be totally comfortable to be who you are uh, and to feel like you're speaking for a real community that you're a part of. And, uh, and it, it, I could tell immediately that Calvin Seminary and the, the Christian Reformed Church would be that. So 
But, but I do want to say that doesn't mean I'm in any way went through some sort of conversion. I don't see myself as turning my back on anything. I mean, the, the Reformed tradition is my tradition, and it's, it's all Christ's church. I think uh, the splits that have plagued the confessional reform world are tragic, and uh, you know, serve wherever God calls me. Good, good. Matt, how do you see God's grace and mercy playing out in your personal life, considering the life experiences you've had today? Today? Or? To date, in your oh, life today. experience. Oh, yeah. How do you see God's grace and mercy playing out? Right. I think the, the best way to answer that for me is, um, you know, already from a fairly young age, the, the big crisis in my life was, how can I be sure that the gospel's true? I never had trouble accepting the total depravity side of it, but I had trouble trusting the gospel side of it, and that's not a happy place to be. <laughs> so, and, and part of what was wrapped up in that was, what are the chances that I just happened to be born into this tiny tradition that got everything right? You know, if I... <laughs> So it was almost like, I can't not accept this. Providential, <laughs> of course. Because this is my only hope. The gospel is my only hope. But on the other hand, am I just accepting this because this is what I was taught? And the way I experienced grace in that, and this coincided too with me coming to Westminster Seminary, California, and, and Michael Horton really helped me through this to see that Christianity and the gospel is not really ultimately about the Reformed tradition. It's about Christ. And that enabled me to bracket all the questions about the Reformed tradition and all the questions you can ask about Scripture and different problems, you know, sovereignty of God, whatever, and focus on one simple question, you know, did God send His Son, Jesus Christ? Did He die and rise again from the dead? And you answer that question, and other things have a way of falling into place. Or at least that gives you a, a perspective now from which to think through them thoughtfully. And that was a watershed for me. My life hasn't been the same uh, since. And uh, I think that helps explain, too, why... I hope you see in everything I say and do uh, how important it is to me to have a, a Christocentric gospel emphasis all the time. Good. Matt, in terms of personal calling, how do you see yourself transitioning from teaching students to training leaders for the church and or marketplace ministry? Mm -hmm. um, I think one of the dangers in theology and ethics as a branch of theology is that it can become abstracted in the academy separate from the church. And I really experienced that at Emory, you know, where you have all these scholars doing theology without any attachment to a community, without any attachment to service of the church. And uh, that led them to very much go their own ways, and each kind of has their own idiosyncratic theology. But what does it really mean if you're not speaking for anyone and to anyone? So. You know, that convicted, you know, serving the church is where it's at when it comes to theology and ethics. There's no better place to be doing it. I mean, I was already wired, I guess, by my upbringing to be oriented towards the church. And I had some, you know, I have taught in seminary contexts in two different seminaries in the past, but that just, you know, it's a natural thing. And my emphasis on ethics is on following Christ, a Christocentric approach to ethics. Well, you're only going to go so far with that teaching undergraduates in a secular liberal arts context, obviously. Um, but in a seminary, you're teaching people who that's their job to then go out and preach and teach. So it's just logical. Amen. I'd like to read a quote from your, from your bio. Mm -hmm. um, you stated, my abiding scholarly interest is in the moral and social implications of the Christian faith. I am especially interested in what it means for Christians to witness faithfully to the gospel of Christ in contexts characterized by religious, social, and moral pluralism mm -hmm. as individuals and as churches in word and in deed. I use a broad framework of theological, philosophical, historical, and sociological perspectives to work through practical challenges facing contemporary believers and churches. So please tell us, practically speaking, what does that look like in light of a reformed moral worldview? Right. Well, I think, uh, I mean, we're at a watershed time in church history where we're sitting on the tail end of over a thousand years where we were on the top, where you had Christendom, where we've been in power. And so when in the Reformed tradition, we've talked about things like the Lordship of Christ 
and transforming society, that's meant something that we thought we could go out and make happen out there. And now we're in a time when it's clear that that's, that's not necessarily going to be the case anymore. I think most people see that. But that doesn't change um, the doctrine of the Lordship of Christ. That doesn't take away from our understanding of the kingdom of God or of you know, creation, fall, redemption, consummation. So the great question facing the church and the great questions of ethics, even the real controversial ones like homosexuality, you know, the, the practical questions are all about how are we going to continue to be faithful to the Lordship of Christ? How are we going to affirm Him as Creator and Redeemer? Um, but in a way when we're no longer in power, in a way where the best that we can do is serve in a way that's going to lead to suffering. So what's that going to mean? Is it going to mean we're going to dig in our heels and, and yell loud until we get power, as is one temptation? Is it going to mean we're just going to sell out and try to keep up so that we can pretend we still have power? Or are we going to find a way to actually witness to the gospel in the place that we're called to do that? Thank you. I want to quote you again. All right. <laughs> Pro you stated, properly understood, I believe reformed moral theology is structured by the New Testament's call to believers faithfully to follow Christ and his commandments in obedience, mm -hmm. love, service, and suffering in every area of life, rather than by the Old Testament call to transform society according to the model of Israel. This Christocentric approach to moral theology is desperately needed in Reformed churches that are only beginning to grasp what it means to follow Christ in a post-Christian context. A central part of this task is to show how Christian worship shapes faithful Christian witness. Matt, my question for you is, how does Christian worship shape faithful Christian witness? Yeah. Um, probably, I mean, there's, there's preaching, there's the worship, you know, the words that we, we sing and speak and hear. But I'd, I'd want to focus on that, I think, by focusing on the sacraments in particular, um, as illustrative, I guess, of my answer to that question. Um, you know, the, the, the history of the church is marked by division and conflict. And, you know, the, the sacraments are given to us, baptism into Christ, in order to show that, you know, in Christ there's no Jew nor Greek, no slave nor free, you know, no male nor female. Similarly, the Lord's Supper is, is the meal where we're supposed to come together with no dynamic of rich or poor, as we see in Corinthians. And I think those practices of baptism and, and the Lord's Supper are supposed to be shaping not just, those aren't just worshipful actions. They're supposed to shape our entire outlook on life, on who we are as a community together. You know, baptism's our new identity. The Lord's Supper signifies our new community um, as brothers and sisters in Christ. In my upbringing, you know, of course, sacraments were emphasized in sort of a traditional reform way, but I don't think they were emphasized enough. Uh, I don't think we talked about baptism enough. I don't think we observed Lord's Supper enough and, and included enough people in the way we observed Lord's Supper. And I think that affected our ethos and who we thought was among us and what we thought was our, um, our identity and our, our moral vision. So it's not that I think we're doing it all wrong. I just think we can do it even better. And, um, you know, in the context even of the Lord's Supper, the fact that many churches will use it as an opportunity to, you know, bring offerings for the poor as a a practical testimony of what the Lord's Supper means. Mm -hmm. I think we need to think harder about using worship in those ways to, mm -hmm. to frame the ethos of our people. Good. There's, I'll put the link to the thing, so if you want to watch the whole thing, you can watch the whole thing. I gave you a pretty good sense of, of it, because again, it, it is very easy in a time of conflict to make these things about institutions, about positions and those are obviously important i'm not taking anything away from those but the sabbath was <laughs> man was not made for the sabbath but sabbath for man these things are for us and for our welfare and for our redemption so here's what i want to ask um we learned that uh you spent about a year serving in a predominantly 
African-American context in a local church, living in a predominantly African-American neighborhood. So Mm -hmm. I would say that the whole, there was a power shift there where you were a minority. What was that like? Yeah, I mean, that, I don't know if I could describe what it was, what it was like. Um, it's humbling. It's exciting at the same time. Um, I think existentially, in a way, it was helpful because this church that I was part of was so gospel-centered and so reformed that here it was, seeing the gospel embodied in this context of people, every single one of whom is very different than me and my family. Um, it had its challenges, as you know, from our conversation um, and, you know, whether in the church or in the neighborhood, it, it had its challenges. And uh, learning, I guess, to, to think about those challenges through the lens of the gospel was, um, you know, we still live in that neighborhood now. We're not part of that church at this point. But, you know, and I focused really on, on being self-conscious about how I was raising my kids who were very young um, and, and teaching them how to think about these things. Uh, but, but it didn't. I've... So somebody asked me this uh, just the other day, you know, they said they, they had been in a context where they had um, been, been with, you know, I think African Americans a lot and got to know them a lot, but never really felt like they were part of them. We, we didn't feel that way in that church. We really felt like we were part of it. Um, in the neighborhood, less so. In the neighborhood, I think we feel a more sense that we're different. But in the church, we really did feel that we were part of it, so it was a good experience. Thank you. Last question. Speak to the challenge of um, seminary-level, high intellectual, and deep theological learning, and then the, clergy, the clergy's responsibility to process all that, and then make this, uh, this learning and all this knowledge relevant are relevant to the average person in the pew. When it, whenever I get asked that sort of a question, I always think it's, it's kind of odd in a way because I feel like all through my PhD program, I had an inferiority complex. I always thought, I think just on an ordinary people's level and all my colleagues are all on such a high academic level, how am I gonna make myself sound smarter? <laughs> and, and probably more academics feel that way than will admit it, but um, I, I think I am first and foremost a person, and I think, you know, writing that I did on on my blog and and different places and my preaching testifies to this. I am first and foremost a person who cares about the church and communicating with ordinary people, and that motivates my academic work. Mm -hmm. I think anybody in this room could read my dissertation and understand pretty much everything in it, except maybe some of the scholarly stuff in the introduction, uh, and maybe some of the footnotes, which probably isn't worth your time anyway. So, so I, I think that I, you know, that that's, I, I think I'm geared towards ordinary people, and I hope to write towards ordinary people in such a way that scholars will pay attention to. Amen. Okay, so what happens is you get the interview, and again, I wanted, it was a great interview. I, I remembered that. I mean, I had not met Matt before then. I had a chance to go out to a meal with him because I was on the, I was the reporter for the education committee. And last, during Senate, I explained about these advisory committees and then the things go to the floor of Senate. I was a reporter for that committee, so I had a role in meeting him and then the other seminary, uh, the other person who would become a seminary professor. And so I got a chance to meet him. He looks terribly young at the time, and uh, I haven't looked terribly young for a very long time. But so it really had a sense of, of, of who he was and thought he, he, really, he really shined in his examination. But now this is 2015, and so this is seven years before 2022, which was a Senate that I was at, which was the big one that sort of I've, you know, has drawn a lot of attention. But here's, here's the first question right off the bat. Wolves right away. Um... We have just been talking uh, before dinner about an issue that, uh, that affects our church's relationship with uh, people who are uh, contemplating or who are involved in, in uh, same-sex marriages. And my question is how you uh, prepare your students at, at seminary who are uh, 
contemplating being in pastorate who have maybe already served uh, a short-term internship and they've, they've seen that their particular congregation that they were working in has a stance that is much more severe than the, than the CRC's current stance. They see the CRC's current stance and then they have uh, friends who are uh, not CRC uh, people who, who th think, well, duh, it's, it's a justice issue, it's, it's done and over with. Um, how does your ethos uh, uh, help teach these students to deal with situations like that? Mm -hmm. um, I haven't obviously got this cleared yet, but I proposed this when they asked me the question what I plan on teaching. I'd like to teach a, you know, a marriage and sexuality elective right away um, and sort of tackle that head on explicitly with, with my students, um, which also gives, would give me a chance to really explore it further than I have at this point too. I think there are the, the, the temptation, for, I'll start with the temptations facing us right now are either to simply be content with rejecting a practice that the church has traditionally rejected as sinful, and on the other hand, simply accepting what um, you know, our liberal, political, liberal, cultural impulses seem to be telling us toleration and even just empathy would call us to do. So I think we need to avoid those two temptations. And then the, the, the two things that we need to do are on the one hand affirm very clearly what Scripture teaches about the creation order and how God has uh, called us to be in terms of sexuality. Um, but on, and, and the key is connecting that to the creation order, that this isn't, isn't just some commandment that we're just going to do it because this is the way it is, but really showing why, how this is central to human flourishing and even human justice. But on the other hand, um, communicating, not only communicating the gospel to um, people who have, you know, a gay orientation or struggle, struggle with homosexuality or any other kind of sexuality, but finding better ways to come alongside them and show them in practical terms what the gospel has to offer them. You know, how can we bring them into our communities in ways that are true to what, what Scripture and, and creation teach us about human sexuality, but that nevertheless are better than just telling them, you know, abstain and sort of work hard. Um, we, we need to come alongside and, and find new ways to show them how they can be in relationships, um, how, um, you know, when one of the books that I think has helped me is Wesley Hill's book, you know, Washed and Waiting, and he's a gay Christian who believes in uh, that gays are called to be celibate. What really struck me when I was reading his book was that his biggest temptation wasn't the desire to go have sex with men. That wasn't where it was at, which is just what I had always assumed. His big temptation was that he just yearned for friendships, with deep friendships with men, and that because of his orientation, when he was in those friendships, it just introduced enormous complications. Um, you know, and what's appropriate and what's not, and how do you prevent one thing from moving into the next? And so what do you, what do you tell such a person that, well, just have friend, friendships with women? Well, of course, that has its own complications. Um, don't have any friendships with them. I mean, all of that's absurd. But have, we have not done the hard thinking of thinking how we can help such a person and what the gospel um, has um, how the gospel can shape those relationships and learning from people in those. Like, I learned so much from reading Wesley Hill, um, and, and we need to do more of that sort of thing. So, you know, I'll admit I have, I have a ton of thinking and wrestling to do on, on this issue, but uh, those, that's the general outlines of how I would approach it, and I'm committed to making that a, you know, top burner issue for my, you know, my vocation. I, I think that's helpful background to, okay, Here's a name in the banner. It's not given with doctor or reverend, but that's the name. What I have in front of you now on the screen is the Human Sexuality Report itself, the report that was mandated in 2016. That was just at Senate 2015. So then a point, uh, synodical committee was mandated in 2016, which got pushed back. It was supposed to come to Synod 2020, but of course COVID hit. Uh, he, was, he was placed on the committee. Dr. Matthew Tuninga there, it's in, um, it's in green. At the first meeting in October 2016, the committee chose Drs. Uh, Wyma and Walters as co-chairs, Dr. Tuninga as reporter, and Dr. Vanderwood as recording secretary. Um, 
in fulfillment of our mandate. We submitted an interim report and sent in 2019. Three of our members, Mary Lee Bauma, Matthew Tuninga, and Jeff Wyma, were there to facilitate discussions at table groups to solicit feedback. Dr. Tuninga participated extensively in the committee's work, but he withdrew from the committee before the work was complete. He affirms that the sections of the report summarize biblical teaching on human sexuality and its confessional status are accurate. However, he believes the pastoral care sections fail to provide the church with much needed guidance in how to discipline erring members with love and grace and incorporate them in the sacramental community of the body of Christ. So not only was he on the human sexuality committee, but he played an interesting part in which he could sign off for most of it, but then he found the pastoral care section wanting. And if Matt, if you want to come on the channel and talk more about this, you're certainly welcome. Happy to have you on. So it's very interesting. Now, the part of the reasons I played the portions of his examination I did, it's funny how memory works because, of course, you you experience things. And I sat for the whole interview and, I, and there was a more extensive interview as part of the committee work that we did. So many of these elements were sort of in the back of my mind. And then when things come up, things sort of emerge out of your memory and you remember these things. It's also helpful to remember that this is Grace CRC. Now, most of the people on out there in out there in the out there in the YouTube land won't know have any idea through this. But of course, the Christian Reformed Church is a small place, and Grand Rapids is a place that many Christian Reformed ministers, including myself, wind up spending years with and getting to know some of the churches. And Grace has its own history. In my grandfather's days, many Christian Reformed churches were very, very similar to one another. That's really no longer the case. And so what's sort of nice these days is you can pull up the website and get a sense of some things about the Christian Reformed Church, about a particular Christian Reformed Church. Who are the people? What do they value? What are they like? And the more you're around, you can tell. And so this is their, this is their front page. They have a YouTube channel. So it's, it's really interesting, especially when they have, um, you know, the camera pulls back and you can see more of sort of who's in the room for the worship service. And, and this, is, this is kind of a, a Christian Reformed Church that you sort of expect to see in kind of inner city Grand Rapids, a uh, fair number of people with Dutch last names, church attempting to reach out to a community that's probably more diverse than the um, then the, well, so much of these things have changed. A lot of gray hair. Um, that's, that tends to be what you find, but, uh, in Grand Rapids, um, probably a fairly, fairly diverse lot. And the history of grace was that they, they worked very hard to be a church in their neighborhood, in the community. So this is not a church that would, it surprised me that, that Matt Tuningo would be a member of. Now, it's helpful to remember, too, that because it's an appeal, it has to come from within the church. It has to come from someone within the church that feels that the church has taken a wrong step. It can't be sort of like in the Jordan Peterson uh, <laughs> um, College of Psychologists where anybody seemingly in the world can send a letter against Jordan B. Peterson. It has to be someone who is, who is from within the church. So he sends, I'll just read this again because it's been a little while. An appeal dated January 4, 2023, related to the, the September 2022 decision of Grace's Council to um, a statement that Tuninga said violates and undermines the confessional teaching of the CRC as defined by Synod 2022. So, of course, he, he knew what he was talking about. He was part of the committee. The statement is regarding full participation. Grace Church has held a longstanding vision to be healthy, urban, intentional, multi-ethnic and diverse in many ways, expression of God's new family in Christ. Our name, Grace, reflects the calling to welcome persons of all kinds on the basis of God's undeserving gift of grace. We cling to our proud history of promoting racial justice, reconciliation, women in church office, and inclusion of people of all abilities. We hear echoes of words of grace once spoken by a black founding elder when white families began first began to join our church. So uh, I suspect I haven't gone back and done the research. I suspect Grace was a chapel. Now, in the Christian Reform Church, there were things called chapels and things called churches. And chapels weren't technically churches. They didn't have a ruling council. They were under the supervision of a local church that was near them. Uh, Northside Chapel that I was raised in was a chapel. 
and it eventually became a Christian Reformed Church. Madison Square was a chapel years ago, and my grandmother actually attended there because it wasn't too far from the farm she grew up with, um, grew up on, um, just a block or two away from where Madison Square Church has been for a very long time. And so chapels were sort of these outreach-oriented things where the the rules could be a little looser. Um, Living Stones, Sacramento Christian Reformed Church, kind of a chapel, but came into being in some ways a little beyond the chapel era, um, organized fairly quickly. We as a church have, have, been ex- have been extensively discussing appropriate inclusion of our LGBTQ plus siblings for some time, both as, as congregation and denomination. As Grace stated in our 2017 statement, we have sought to be a welcoming community where all are accepted as sinners saved by grace, yet at a time we chose not to articulate an official position statement regarding same-sex marriage. Some of our members strongly disagree with each other on the issue of LGBTQ plus marriage. The Council of Grace Church respects the fact that faithful, loving, and Christ-like members of our congregation have come to different conclusions that very much mirrors the language of women in church office. We must now discern a way forward, embracing our diversity in many ways. Um celebrates image bears anyway the all of this all of the the links will be here um grace council has discussed and revised this language welcomed feedback to the congregation held detailed educational classes on the bible and scientific foundations on the topic offering various listening circles about its impact and recently polled the congregation for their sense of it um the key sentence is the one in italics that is being appealed. Grace Church celebrates LGBTQ plus people as image bearers loved by God and welcomes them whether single, in a dating relationship, or married. Those who confess Jesus Christ as Lord shall enjoy full participation in the life of the church, including ordination to the roles of elder and deacon, preaching, being married, having their children baptized, and fulfilling all leadership roles as their gifts allow. So he appealed this statement because it was a statement, and he said the statement is in violation to the decision of Synod 2022. In response to the appeal, the Council of Grace CRC recommends sustaining the appeal, saying, we acknowledge that we currently hold a policy that is not in line with the current standards of the CRCNA and submit ourselves to to discipline under classes. Knowing pretty well that classes has a, a study report and has had for a very long time on the classical website that, yeah, they, they're probably not going to get any discipline from the classes. It also says Grace Church remains committed to our statement as changing it would be contrary to the expressed will and conscience of the Council and Congregation of Grace Church. Rescinding our statement would have a catastrophic effect on our congregational integrity and be contrary to our understanding of God's word. So, classes. So Grace Church basically says, yeah, find us guilty. And classes, okay. The question is, where then does the classes stand? And this sort of sets up the situation that had been in the Reformed Church of America for a very long time that led to its continued uh, disintegration. I think somebody said recently it was about half of the Reformed Church of America left um, there's a significant split off the Alliance of Reformed Churches. Other churches have left. What happened in the Reformed Church of America is there were various classes that um, basically continued to defy the, the denominational decisions with respect to human sexuality. And the polity of, of the Reformed Church in America, of in, I better get that right because I've been called on it in previous videos, in America... They're so old they have a crest. Um, meant that they, they couldn't really discipline them, and that sort of brought about the, the continued dissolution of it. The banner goes on. Classes adopted a mandate for the Creative Next Steps Committee at, at its September meeting. This classes GRE ad hoc committee will explore creative next steps in identifying issues, articulating desired um, attributes, searching various possible opinions, connecting with the experts and convening conversations with stakeholders within and beyond our classes with the goal of finding a better path towards allowing our global ministry to flourish. It's interesting. Um, oh, it's at the previous September meeting. 
Classes Grand Rapids East voted to have its executive member establish a committee to help Classes address confessional alignment issues, including matters related to sustaining Tuninga appeal and alignment-related mandates received from Synod 2023. Classes Grand Rapids East hosted an executive Classes meeting in October 26 with the intention of speaking and listening with the above issues in mind, participants shared in listening circles According to public minutes, responding to questions such as, as some churches wrestle with these questions, consider possible next steps. What do you want them or the classes to keep in mind as they do? And what do you think your church needs in order to move forward in the mission of God? God is calling you. Minutes say input from each listening circle will be provided to the Creative Next Steps Committee. That was Classes Grand Rapids East. Now, let's take a peek at a couple other classes. Um... The Council of High River CRC in Alta, um, Classes October 27 meeting, Classes Alberta South Saskatchewan, as noted in the meeting in the minutes, in keeping with the decisions of Synod 2023, that Synod instruct all classes to guide into compliance the office bearers of their constituent churches who publicly reject the biblical guidelines affirmed by Synod 2022 regarding same-sex relationships, the Council of High River CRC, protest the seating of any delegate or delegation to this meeting that has rejected the biblical guidelines affirmed by Synod 2022 regarding same-sex relationships. The minutes noted eight delegates apart from the High River delegation who added their names to the protest. So, in other words, they were basically saying classes should not see churches that have made public statements similar to, say, what you saw on that website. They should not be seated at classes. That was a protest that went forward. Classes Alberta South Saskatchewan voted to end the current University of Calgary campus ministry effective December 31, 2024. I don't know if that has anything to do with this issue or not. That isn't stated. I have no knowledge of it. Someone will probably contact me and inform me it did or it didn't. Uh, classes BC Northwest received a disaffiliation request from Christ Church in Nanaimo, BC and appointed classes representation to meet with the church's council. I'd mentioned before that I'd been part of that for um, a church in Ripon on the conservative end that decided to leave a couple of years ago. CCC Nanaimo shared their report and that the primary reason the council recommending disaffiliation is because of the confessional status piece of Synod's approval of the human sexuality report. So you can see that things are moving and what's happening here really doesn't surprise me much at all. Now, Apparently, there was a meeting that was called in Classes Grand Rapids East, and it was supposed to be an informational meeting, but obviously some communications got crossed. Cedric Parcells and Tyler Wagonmaker were going to go to this meeting, and when they went to the meeting, they were told that they should leave because they shouldn't be there. Um, there, there's some discussion as to whether or not it was an open meeting or a closed meeting. This, of course, was a bit unusual. There was then a statement that was posted on the Abide website. The statement is from EV. I don't know who EV is. Probably not electric vehicle. Talked about the fact that well, they weren't allowed to attend. Well, this isn't good. I'm afraid some misunderstandings have occurred and are causing greater fear of suspicion and distrust to build up among the different sects that are forming in the CRC. I'll attempt to clear them up with four posts. As one who's been in direct contract with a few of those serving on the Grand Rapids East Steering Committee, also please do not delete these comments. Cedric and Tyler expressed in their video that they wished to be able to sit in on the meeting because it would, provide, would have allowed them a richer and more nuanced conversation about Grand Rapids East. I'm trying to provide insight here to help with that. Grand Rapids East meeting that was held on November 30 was not set up to be a regular classist meeting with time for worship and prayer at the beginning. The meeting was indeed an informational meeting, but the executive team decided several weeks in advance that it should take the form of a closed session right from the get-go. Consequently, the informational meeting was actually advertised as a closed session in the official email sent out a week or so to the meeting dates to churches and persons that were formally invited to participate in the meeting. Any visitors who were able to sit in on to sit in on 
where though um, we're able to sit in person or to sit there were those who received explicit permission at least a couple of days before the meeting. Perhaps these um, meeting arrangements could have been communicated more clearly to those further out of the loop. Unfortunately, they were not. So it's legitimate to have a closed meeting. Um, it's unusual. Generally speaking, in the Christian Reformed Church, all meetings are open unless they go into executive session usually for reasons of it's a discipline case or it's a matter that affects a particular individual personally in which you have a confident you have kind of confidentiality it's unusual to have an informational meeting that is closed the information shared in the meeting, including the report, will be made public at a later date. The committee just needs to figure out which channels will be most effective for its distribution and other small logistical details first. And I don't think that's a small logistical detail. I think that's actually a pretty significant detail because, again, a lot of what has happened with this is about information. How, how, how is the information framed? In other words, there will be transparency of what was discussed. I don't know if you can say there will be transparent. Transparency usually lets people come in and watch. Uh, there will be a presentation. I think that's not necessarily transparency. Uh, and again, I'm, it's not a criticism, but transparency is someone observing with their own eyes and coming to their own conclusions a proceeding, a, a report is created by the group considering all of the different angles in order to hopefully yield a particular conclusion. Many churches and people from GRE are indeed going through the various stages of grief, with some churches and people in different stages than others. And as one experienced in the field of social work and psychology, I speak I speak on this in depth, as I do in post two, as I think it's incredibly important that you understand the dynamics in play in Grand Rapids as much as possible. So that was the first post. Uh, here's, oh, they're a little bit out of order. Let's go to post two. While most, if not all, of the churches in Grand Rapids East have moved past the initial stage of shock, a large portion are caught up in the stage of denial, and denial has taken various shapes. Some are in denial that the church's policies have changed, as evidenced by them wanting to pretend and that quite literally acting like it hasn't. Some are in denial that confessional difficulty gravamen, often abbreviated CDG, and the CRC don't actually grant office bearers permanent exemptions as part of the confessions they disagree with. That is to say, deep inside, um, they know they don't, but they're really fond of their office bearers who disagree with Synod 2022's decision and don't want to lose them. As evidenced by them wanting to pretend that they grant their office bearers permanent exemptions. And others are still in denial that they are, in fact, in the minority theologically in the CRC and will definitely continue to be so. A small yet much more vocal segment is in the angry stage. For the most part, anger among, among these churches and those people has taken the, the form of passive aggressiveness or cynicism. For most of these churches and or people, they are directed their passive aggressive cynicism towards Synod 2022 and 2023, while others have directed these attitudes towards abide as a whole. At present, these churches and people are unable to clearly see that their anger is largely misplaced. In reality, what they are really angry upset about is how the recent synodical decisions are personally impacting them and those closest to them, and that the CRC has become different from the CRC that they remembered from their childhood. Or that the CRC is different from how they imagine it to be, because many of them believe that, well, in, in my childhood it was like this, but it's changed, and this is how the CRC is now. Well, it's a big, complex thing. Some small caveat. Some people in GRE have become distrustful and fearful of people connected with Abide in general, due to negative interactions they've personally had with a few individuals who are with Abide. It appears these one or two negative interactions have had a certain have had with certain individuals from Abide have unfortunately had the effect of making them more prone to see Abide as a whole in a negative light and resistant to engaging in conversation with anyone from Abide. This might help explain the manner in which Cedric and Tyler were asked to leave the meeting. Sometimes people lash out when they've been hurt or hurting. A few of the churches and people in G in Grand Rapids East are in the bargaining stage. 
Those in this stage are trying to seek a compromise with the Orthodox churches of the Christian Reformed Church that will allow them to continue being in the Christian Reformed Church without them having to get rid of their office bearers who disagree with Synod. Or otherwise hoping and praying that Synod 2024 will somehow lead in the reversal of the 2023 decision. There's like nobody, very few people are expecting anything like that. A handful of the churches and people are deep in what you'd argue is the most heartbreaking of the stages of grief to witness people struggling through the depression stage. Recently, a friend was back in Grand Rapids and he said to me, yeah, there's just a, in some of the churches there, they just sort of feel shell-shocked. The world changed and they didn't expect it. Among those who are in that stage, there's a lot of sadness, emotional fatigue, feelings of hopelessness and uselessness, and longing for things to go back the way they were. Of course, they don't really expect they will, but they're still longing for things to return the way they were before. The majority of churches and people from Grand Rapids East, however, are actually in what is known as the testing stage. Those that wish to wait to see what happens at Synod 2024 with the issue of gravamen and etc. before they do anything substantial like pursuing disaffiliation from the Christian Reformed Church, that they could be placed here, as the reasons they are waiting till Synod 2024 to act is because they've been considering few different options, but don't know which one makes the most sense for them to do, and won't know for sure until the issue of gravamen, gravamina, is settled, and the new questions concerning the gravamina is the question of uh, how, in fact, you differ from the doctrinal statements of the church and how that impacts your relationship and your ability to hold office, things like that. In these words, these churches people believe they own they will only know for certain which opinion they should go with after they see what becomes of the overtures and communication in various churches. In other words, they're still watching it play out. Then there are a handful of churches and people in Grand Rapids East that have come to accept the CRC may no longer be the right place for them and are actively discussing and planning for disaffiliation from the CRC, as alluded to in the video. These said churches are delaying their departure till the Synod 2024 as they want to help as many other churches in their classes as they also reach the state of acceptance. Post three... In short, churches in Grand Rapids East are not carrying out the instructions given to them by Synod 2023 regarding office bearers due to different reasons. Some are not because they are struggling with denial. Some are not because they are angry that recent synods made this decision. Some are not because they're stuck in the bargaining stage. Some are not because they are struggling with emotional fatigue. And some are not because they want to wait to see what happens at Synod 2024. Some are not because they're planning to leave the CRC. In truth, Classis Grand Rapids East recognizes that the ways in which many of its people and churches are going about things is particularly, to use Cedric and Tyler's words, unhelpful and are likely only to cause more hurt in the end. Classis Grand Rapids East is also aware that the behavior of the churches and people seemingly stuck in the denial and anger stage is what's especially making, um, the, the, he uses the word orthodox Christian Reformed churches that might be confusing for some, um, churches that embrace the traditional position, and the CRC more prone to seeing Grand Rapids East as a, in the whole as a bad light. At the same time, those churches in Grand Rapids East, um, those in Grand Rapids East closer to reaching a stage of acceptance have already come to a state of acceptance, realize that they cannot rush their fellow members in their grieving process and cannot control the ways these fellow churches are responding to or expressing their grief. The most they can do is influence, impact how their fellow churches respond or to express it by what they themselves say and do. And what is and what is it they should say or do? If they carry out Synod 2023's instructions right now, while many churches are already reaching very reacting very negatively to some of Synod 2023's decisions, chances are it would only make things worse. They are they have to decide to po um, so they are deciding to postpone Synod 2023's decisions and focus instead on number one, trying to meet their fellow brothers and sisters where they're at in the grieving process. Two provide the brothers and sisters with a plethora of information so they can make it as fully informed a decision as possible pertaining to their next steps. The flowchart in, in the report simply names some of the things that a church could do in theory. Now, this is a copy of the report. We have so many 
things open here. It's in fact a flow start. Stay in the CRCNA. Yes. Remain fully in. Yes. No. Dual affiliation. Uh, dissent publicly. Ignore Senate and avoid attention. Uh, leave the CRC. Affiliate with the RCA. Does the RCA restructure too? Join or become a classist in the RCA. CRC and RCA together in a new thing denomination. Create a new denominational structure. Does it copy the confessional church order? In other words, this little flowchart sort of shows. Okay, here are all the different um, here are all the different options. It's just basically a logical flowchart. Now, my take on this is that absolutely none of this surprises me. Things take a long time to process through communities of people, and classes Grand Rapids East more so than probably almost any other classes, with the possible exception of maybe some classes in Northwest Iowa feel themselves to sort of be the center of the world with respect to this. And so what has happened is a um, is domicide. We can use the language of the corner of that. They have in some ways lost their home. They are shocked. They um, are refugees. People are sort of waiting for Synod 2024. I've... A lot of people are encouraging me to do some writing with respect to the gravamen question, and maybe I should. But with respect to these issues, I think it's helpful that patience be in order. I think Synod 2024 will likely send a message similar to 2023 after that Paul DeVries moment where, okay, you've had a year now. Um, Senate isn't going to change its mind with respect to this issue, and it's probably not going to be the case that a gravamen, a confessional difficulty gravamen, becomes sort of a permanent exception to the doctrinal statements of the Christian Reformed Church. Now, Cedric, the guy on the left, has, on the Abide group, sort of been a hound on this issue of saying historically there's sort of been a an oral tradition uh, oral tradition rewrite of what was decided in synod 1976. they said first any decision by synod 2024 to restrict the gravamen process would be a tipping point for many classes gre congregations um uh, even that language, restricting the gravamen process. I know, you're, you're trying so, to, you're goading me. I'm goading you're you. Goading I'm goading me. goading you, Cedric. <laughs> yes. This is uh, just, I know, I, I, I have to comment on, on the way that this is being framed. And I think it's, I think it's fair to say that, I do think it's fair to say that there's, there's a certain amount of gaslighting that's going on yeah. uh, in the denomination. Uh, there, uh, this is what Synod 23 and potentially what Synod 24 could do is, is not restrict gravamen, or gravamina mm -hmm. is the plural if you want to go that direction, is to clarify what the process has always been. Mm -hmm. there, it, there has never been, never been an official process in the Christian Reformed Church or in our church no. order no. for allowing people to take exception to our confessions. No. I remember I have a, had a conversation uh, with uh, Cornelius Venema, uh, who's the president of Mid-America uh, Seminary. Yep. And you know he was at the he was at the active. In he, the was in the he was Church, in the Christian Reformed Church. He was in the Christian Reformed Church in the late seventies, and we were talking about this. He remembers that conversation about when they came out with this gravamina process, um, and he said, if the conservatives in nineteen seventy six had thought that the gravamina process was a way for people to take exception to the confessions, it would have been a non-starter. Mm -hmm. uh, yep. So uh, this is just it's. It's because, as a, and he's saying, as a denomination, they're all on the same page. Right. They're they're all on the same understanding that yes. you don't you don't take exceptions. Right. That was the common yes. that was the common understanding right. of, of what was going on. So this is this is simply revisionist history. It's gaslighting. It's gaslighting. It's less gaslighting. Um, so it whenever I see that word restricting, I it's it 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 gets at me a little bit. But now, I think Cedric is right. The difficulty, of course, is that also I've talked about this issue before. It was an issue with Harry Bohr. At that point, he was retire or retiring. He had served. The Christian Reformed Church was also a different place. Again, it was a place of personal relationships. And part of what is interesting about the Christian Reformed Church, because it is so young, 
and Synod is so powerful, what will be interesting will be to see, it isn't, it isn't that Synod 2024 can't sort of create an exception. And what's interesting is that many of the, some of the Presbyterian churches that some of the Christian foreign ministers have come to had exceptions written in. So it's not inconceivable that that could happen. I think more than likely that won't happen, but there will be questions about process. And what I hope to see is a conversation, not just about sort of gates, yes and no, here's a deadline. You have to meet this standard by this deadline or you're out. I don't think that's actually a way that people grow and develop. And so I think it should be much more of a question of not just simply statements of agreement, yes or no, but those who express confessional difficulties, they should have, they should be able to enter into a process of discernment. And at the end of that process of discernment, um, and I'm, anybody who knows me know I'm a very patient man, um, people need time to work through things at the last synod. There are a number of speeches given on the floor of people who had changed their mind in a more conservative direction on this issue. And so I think it's helpful that, um, that we understand that we're dealing with people. So we'll see where this goes. Um, there'll be a little bit more. At some point, Grand Rapids East will release their document about what they've heard. I don't think there'll be any big surprises in that document. I think the EV, who sort of wrote about the, the, the stages of grief, will be, um, will probably be, is probably right in terms of what's going on. And then there are more classes meetings in the spring. That's where overtures for Synod in the summer tend to really come forward. So we'll see. We'll see some of that. So if I'm going to write anything, I'd better get writing. But this is sort of the status, and um, we'll we'll see where it goes. Again, I don't I don't think there's going to be any in videos that I've made before. The Christian Reformed Church has been getting more conservative in many respects, not more progressive. And I think that trend line is going to continue. And I articulated why that has been the case, but. These other issues that I spend the majority of my time on my channel talking about are very much germane because the questions have to do with how do propositional truths sort of relate to the other aspects of truth that are going on. So we'll see where this goes. Maybe this was too long. Maybe this was too boring. I don't know. But that's where things are. Um, maybe there'll be another report. I should develop something. Anyway, I certainly have thoughts about it, but leave a comment. Let me know what you think.